While visiting Rossini at his home one day, a friend was surprised to find a score of Wagner's Tannhäuser on the piano, upside down. When he began to set it right side up, Rossini stopped him. I already played it right side up, but I could make nothing of it, he remarked. Then I tried it the other way around, and it sounds much better. Welcome to my Super Title Life, an ongoing broadcast about my experiences working with the San Diego Opera Chorus for the season 2008. This is episode 3, There Be Swords. Well, welcome to this week's show. Um, what to talk about this time? Actually, I was going to go into a discussion about Act 3 of Tannhäuser, but I think I'm going to forestall that until next week, uh, which is just prior to the show opening. Um, only because I kind of want to take a step back and talk a little bit about what's been going on with the staging of the show. Um, we started staging, and uh, first I want to back up even just a little before that. Our final musical rehearsal, we actually got to meet Ian Campbell, or at least I did, um, who is the general uh, director, artistic director, and general director of um, the opera company. And uh, he's a really marvelous man. I, I, you know, I've, I've listened to him before on the radio, you know, he DJ's uh, some of the classical radio station here. And um, so I knew his voice, but I've never personally met the man. And uh, he introduced, was introduced to us, and then he proceeded to not only talk about Tannhäuser, but he talked about the whole season in general. Um, he told some amusing stories, uh, some of which I cannot repeat here. But um, it, he was a very, very genial man, very, very nice man. And uh, he was very clear about several things. One of the things he said is that everybody who is hired, chorus members, uh, you know, all the way up through the principals that they hire, um, are all very, very nice people to work with. There are no divas or, you know, divos, as you want to think of it for Italians and tenors and so on and so forth. But anyways, um, he said that it's, it's a very nice uh, collection of pieces that they've chosen for this year. Um, it's kind of interesting because um, we're doing Tannhäuser, which evidently the last time the San Diego Opera Company did it was in 1969. So it's uh, almost, or maybe it was 67, because I think he said it was 39 years ago. So quite amazing that it's been that long since they've done a production of it. Um, and interestingly enough, he did, uh, he performed in it back uh, in the day, and he did the role of, I believe, I better not say because I'm not quite sure which one it was, but he was one of the singing knights, uh, one of the minstrel knights, and um, he knows how difficult this piece is, and he, he especially uh, apologized to the first tenors, uh, of which I'm in that section, uh, because he said, I know what a bitch of a line it is to sing in some of those songs, and he's quite right. Um, so it was kind of nice that he was uh, so... Uh, um, welcoming of everybody and you know obviously several of the cast members have been there before and they knew who he was and everything but for me you know being a newbie it was kind of nice to see that this is someone who's directing the entire thing and he's a, a, a very very uh, you know it's interesting I think he's a very nice man but I also see that he's also very shrewd and it, it, you can just see it in his eye there's just a glint there that's a focus that's just really amazing to kind of watch um, but anyways and I'm sure you have to have that to run a, a large opera company but um, he talked about this, the whole uh, season. Uh, it has been uh, 39 years, like I said, for Tannhäuser. Um, evidently, the, they haven't done um, 
wasn't Capag. I think it was oh M M uh, Mary Queen of Scots, which actually is Maria Stuarte. Um, but they're calling it Mary Queen of Scots because they figure nobody's going to know who Mary Stuarte is. But it's Mary Stewart. Um, that one hasn't been performed in I think even a longer period of time, or if at all. Um, and Cavalleria Rusticana, it's been some time. And Aida, I guess they haven't done because of the enormous cost that goes into doing a production of Aida. Um, so a lot of it, they think, are almost like world premieres uh, for um, San Diego because you know it's been so long that most of the people who did see it back then probably aren't around anymore, uh, performers and audience members alike. So. Uh, kind of interesting. That was kind of neat to, to figure out and find out that we're doing Tom Noiser and they haven't done it in so long. But anyways, back to the staging. So um, we met Ian Campbell. He talked about um, the things that are coming up. He told us about uh, hiring Jose Cura, who I am so looking forward to working with, uh, and uh, Pagliacci. Um, they got him literally because of uh, it worked just into his into his schedule just within days. In fact, we only get him for 10 days uh, and he has to take off and do something else. So he's not even going to be there for the first, I think he said it was a week of staging rehearsals. Um, it was, um, we only get to see, uh, we get to actually work with the other um, tenor, uh, Ricky Leach, who's doing Cavalleria Rusticana. Um, that is the, other tenor that's going to be uh, performing in that one. He actually is going to be playing Canio's role, in, which is Jose Cura's role, uh, while we rehearse, just so we can get it set and get it staged, because Jose's, Jose Cura's um, schedule is so tight, he can only fly in. And, and in fact, it's kind of interesting, but actually a lot of principals are actually done that way. They are so booked, because they are so popular, and, they, and their repertoires have been built over years, so they literally can just fly in, ask where do they go, where are they supposed to stand, what are they supposed to do, and musically, they already know the songs, they already know what they're doing there, so it's literally just figuring out where the directors want them placed and what they're going to be wearing, and that's basically what they have to do. So they fly in, do their bit, and they fly right back out again. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting life when you get to be on that level of, of being in an opera company. And it's and it's kind of an interesting side note. I was walking with some friends of mine um, on a break yes, uh, just yesterday before I taped this, and one of the people said, isn't it kind of fun to be working at that level and really being around people who are really you know at the top of their craft? They're really working to do some really amazing things. And I, you know, I told her, I said... It's beyond anything I, I could have imagined. Um, you know, and I've done theater for ever since I was like eight years old, so it's not like this is all new to me. But um, And being on stage certainly is not frightening to me in any way. But I just thought it was, it is really amazing to see the caliber of, of the artists that are involved and the production people. And, you know, it's just, just a really an amazing group of people. I can't speak highly, uh, high enough for them. They are just truly amazing, amazing people. Um, so I'm enjoying that part of it a lot. Um, anyways, on to the staging for uh, Act 2. We actually did a little bit of the staging in Act 1. And um, I get probably along with most of the men's chorus. Because the women's chorus you hear in the beginning, but you never see them. So if you're coming to see one of the women singers, uh, you won't see them at all for the first act. You'll get to hear them, but you won't get to see them. 
Uh, but they sing a siren chorus, which I played last week's episode, and you, know, and you should have heard it then. Um, if not, go back to episode two, and you can hear a little smidge of what it sounds like. But the women get heard, but they're off stage. And then the men enter, and we come on in pilgrim's outfits on our way to Rome. And uh, we're carrying, uh, let's see, I think we're all carrying staffs, walking sticks. And we come up to this shrine of the Virgin Mary, and we sing our little... Uh, hymn song to the audience and then we're off stage we walk off stage so I think I'm on for all of like 90 seconds I think one of the chorus members timed it we're on for like 90 seconds and then we're gone (laughs) so act one kind of that's it act two is a completely different story Um, there's a little bit of singing from between Tannhäuser and Elizabeth in the beginning and then the great hall sequence opens now I will tell you the stage sets for all three acts actually are really stunning. Um, this is going to be a fun, fun piece to look at. It's going to be a lot of eye candy, which is great. Um, evidently, the the first and third acts are just really lush settings, and we've seen the paintings of it, and it's just you know the mock-ups of it, and it's really amazing. And Act Two, the Great Hall, it's all a wood structure, so it's going to carry our sound like you won't believe. Plus, it'll be just really stunning to look at the texture of the Great Hall. And uh, so I'm kind of excited about that. That's going to be kind of nice. And it's kind of nice that it's a hard surface, so it will carry the sound quite well. Um, So we did a little bit of the staging for Act 2. We didn't get all the way through Act 2, but we got to the part where Tannhäuser lets it out of the bag that uh, he's been in Venusburg, and everybody gets all in a twist about it, and the women go running off because it's just so horrid that he's, you know, been comforting in hell as far as they're concerned. And uh, the guy started moving in on a non-existent Tannhäuser. We know where he is on the stage, but he wasn't there physically. So we're moving in on where he's going to be. And we have our swords now. And it's <laughs> first when the guys all put them on, at least us smaller guys, we kind of, I, I told him, I said, I felt a little bit like the Titanic. You had a, like a list to one side because it was just this constant tug of this sword and it's scabbard on the side of you and you just kind of felt like you were always being pulled to lean one direction so it was a little bit of a balance act um, but it was funny we got to the part where we started threatening Tannhäuser and the guys started moving in and we actually some of them climb over some of the benches that the women uh, have been sitting on just prior to that and on cue as if it got to a point where we get really kind of hysterical and we're ready to run him through just before Elizabeth puts a stop on the whole thing we all instinctively reached for our swords and we drew them and I thought that was kind of amazing because, uh, you know, nobody told us to do that, but we just did, you know. So it's kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's going to stick. I don't know if it's going to stay because we sh- ended the, the staging right after that. So, but it was fun to draw it. Uh, I didn't take off anybody's ear, which was my biggest fear. So, uh, and I'm far enough downstage that I, I don't think I had run that risk at all. Um, that's one thing I do like is that every time I'm on stage, I am furthest down on the stage. So that's kind of nice. I, I kind of like the fact that, I get stage time fairly easily. So um, that's kind of good. Um, I will relay one little story that happened um, in the course of our uh, rehearsing the uh, Great Hall s- sequence. Um, I actually am paired up with a soprano, and we make our entrance, and, you know, it's a courtly entrance. You know, I have my hand out, and her hand is placed in mine, and we walk down stage to the very front, and we bow, which is, you know, everybody else is doing it too. But we get our moment just at the end, just before we start to sing, actually, we're the last couples to arrive. And the uh, soprano I'm singing with just, you know, I only said, well, I like to know what my motivation is. What's our story? Where do we come from? What's, you know, and she was just joking around. So uh, 
last rehearsal we had, I came up to her and I said, well, I finally figured out our story. And she said, oh, really? Tell me. And I said, well, I said, uh, you are from a very highbrow family who has a great title, but your family squandered all their money. So you live in this big mansion that's literally falling apart. I had a very popular business and I have tons of money, but I have no title. So I marry into your family and you have now all the money that goes with the title and you're happy as clams. Um, we had high hopes for our daughter, but she ran off with a stable boy. So everybody gossips about us in court. So we have to hold our heads higher than everybody else because we were, we're the local town scandal. And uh, uh, I had a son from a previous marriage. And uh, unfortunately, he's crazy and he thinks he's a cat. So I told her all that and she was just stunned. She was like, wow, you really thought it all through. And I thought, well, I had nothing else better to do in between our rehearsals. So during break, I just kind of came up with our own little story. But she kind of loved it. So we're going with that. So when you see us enter, you now know the background story for at least us as a couple. And you know what we've gone through. Uh, so just you know, feel sorry for me and my son who thinks he's a cat and the girl who ran off with the stable boy. Um, so anyways, um, but back to the staging of the show. I, and I kind of want to share some some little bits of tidbits of, of what I mean in my blog about uh, the wonderful, bizarre world of opera uh, and what I mean and how I can kind of relate that to you. Um, I'm not going to talk about what's going on in Tannhäuser in this respect, although there are some things that I've heard, but um, my contract prevents me from actually going into some of these things, so I can't really divulge all of this stuff. But I will tell you a story that happened to me in a prior show um, that I thought was kind of interesting. I was actually doing uh, a GNS piece uh, for, at the time, it was called San Diego Comic Opera, and uh, now it's called Lyric Opera. And somebody came to us in the chorus, one of the women came to us in the chorus and said that they were involved in a Grossmont College production of The Merry Widow and that they were in need of men and would we be interested in doing it? It was all very short notice. And I think they were two weeks away from the uh, performance and they were desperate because they really needed men. And so they asked us uh, if we would be willing to do it. And we said, some of us looked at each other and we went, okay, I guess, you know, we'll do it, you know, for the experience. So we get out to uh, the college and uh, now you have to kind of understand the setting. Everybody in the chorus and all the principals, they've all been working on the show. So the guys that are walking in, literally, we know nothing we have. We have not been through any of the musical rehearsals, nothing. We're carrying our scores around to learn the music. At the same time, they're already staging the show. They're blocking it. That's what it's called. They block you on the stage and they tell you where you're supposed to be for what parts. And so we're carrying around the, the scores. We're trying to learn the music. We're trying to memorize the words. We're trying to write down the stage direction. And it was just hysterical because the whole thing just seemed like it was just one maddening chaos deal after another. Um, and anytime people got confused and didn't know where they were, um, the director would scream, where are the blueprints? Where are the blueprints? And there really physically were blueprints. Now, I can understand it from a stage production uh, standpoint. You know, the stage crew has to know how to build the set if they're going to build it. And obviously they'll need blueprints for that. I get that. But what they, this director did that I've never seen any other director do is they carried around the blueprints and actually had people marked out on the physical plans of where people were supposed to stand. So the whole thing was staged on this blueprint paper. 
and that became the big mantra for the show where are the blueprints so you know you kind of have one end of the spectrum like in the opera that i'm currently in where everything is so well structured everything's in place you have people who are dressers you have people who you know will help with the makeup and you know you get the whole nine yards your prop people are there you everything's just boom 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 all lined up it's got proper structure the whole thing just flows like a well-oiled machine and you do these other productions that are you know just as important every show is important you never want to discount one just because it's maybe not be a professional theater house so you try to always have a level of professionalism but it's just kind of funny because you know you go do another show and it's complete chaos and disarray and you're just trying to maintain what little semblance of professionalism you have in presenting what you're doing you know so that part of it's kind of funny um in that show, I actually got not only roped to be in the show, and we had to deal with the blueprints and learning the score and everything within the matter of days, but on top of that, somebody told the director that in the show I was in, when they kind of nabbed me, I actually did some folk dancing in it, and they decided that they wanted to have solo dancers in this version of Mary Widow, so they grabbed me and one other guy and two of the women in the chorus and they decided to make us solo dancers and we were going to do this folk dance in this show and they uh set, told us to go outside and there was going to be a choreographer that was going to meet us and she was going to teach us the little dance we were going to do as a solo couples and uh so we go out there and we don't know what to expect we you know i mean one the guy that got picked along with me he was in the show i was in before with uh comic opera and I looked at him and I said, well, do we know what we're doing? Why are we doing this? You know, I mean, it's just hard enough learning the music. And all of a sudden, this very, uh, the epitome of East German gymnast woman comes around the corner. Tight bun, jodfer pants, you know, the whole nine yards, riding crop, the whole nine yards, comes around the corner and she cracks the riding crop against her leg. I mean, just whack. And says, okay, now we will do this, this. And she just started calling out dance routines like we were professional dancers and knew what all these routines were. And we're looking at her with big round eyes like, what the hell are you talking about? And she just started cracking her rib and just would get angrier and angrier because we didn't know what this all meant. And this is kind of the, the weird things that can go on in doing productions in opera. Um, you know, you have the gamut. You have well-oiled machines like San Diego Opera. And then you have, you know, the modest houses in between like Comic Opera. And then you have these side productions that just, oh, anything could go. Um, I did make it through the production. I, I thought that it was kind of um, a, a neat experience. It's one that I, can, I have many stories about. Um, one of which was... In that same production of Mary Widow, we had a conductor who was evidently very famous back in the day, and the man was probably one foot in the grave and probably knew Moses personally, because boy, was he old. And they got him to fly in to do the conducting of the of the performance, and uh, we had a part in Mary Widow where we're supposed to waltz on stage. In fact, it's just before I was supposed to do the little solo thing, and we waltz on stage, and the music's supposed to be playing this beautiful, very famous uh, waltz piece from the Mary Widow. And the cue comes, and we waltz on stage, and there's absolutely no music. The conductor uh, fell asleep in the pit, and we're out there dancing in these fabulous gowns and tuxedos, and absolutely no music. Then, uh, I, as I'm dancing around, and we're all looking at each other from sidelines, thinking, what are we going to do? You know, we're dancing, and there's no music, and the audience is kind of starting to murmur. And one of the first... Um, 
violins reaches forward and pokes the, the conductor with his bow to wake him up. The man wakes up, sees that there's action going on on stage, and instead of trying to figure out where we are and proceed from there, no, he goes back to the beginning where we make our entrance and starts the orchestra from there. Well, we only know the dance from that position. So what do we do? We dance right back off stage and wait and come right back on stage again as if it never happened. And the weird thing is after that entire performance, I had people who walked up to me after the performance, people I didn't even know and said, that was the most amazing show I've ever seen. And I just laughed. I couldn't believe that people bought it. It's really amazing when some people will think is actually staged. You know, you, you're in a show and you think, oh my gosh, this is the biggest screw up we've ever had. And people in the audience just, they, they don't know. They, they just buy it hook, line, and sinker. So, you know, you never know how it's going to fly. Um, but that's also live theater. I mean, any, any theater person can tell you that. But in the opera world, it just seems to be magnified to a little height, tighter, tighter degree. Um, but anyways, so um, our staging is going well. We are, uh, the hall looks, looks like it's going to be phenomenal. We have these beautiful flags um, that come in, flag bearers that come in. Um, you know, the, the staging for the song contest looks really interesting. Um, it's got a lot of polish and panache, and so it's, it's going to be really cool. I, I think you guys are going to like it if for those who decide to go see Tannhäuser. Um, I'm really pleased with it. Like I said, I wasn't a big Wagner fan before this. After doing the show and what, what little I've done of it so far, I, I'm i sold. I, I would do Tannhäuser again in, in a heartbeat. It's just really, really uh, a very fascinating production to be involved with. I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on what company would ask me if I ever did it again. But um, be that as it may, I, I really do uh, uh, enjoy what, what's been going on. I haven't been enjoying it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's coming up. Um, I actually started to preview the music. Uh, and maybe uh, here's something I could also inform you on. There are some recordings out there um, that are quite good. Um, I'm actually listening to for um, Pagliacci, um, a version with Jose Cura, who is going to be playing Canio in, in our version. Um, and he's well known for playing this role. Um, and that version is available. It is out. He did it with the Dutch Symphony, I believe, or the Netherlands. I'm not sure which one it was, but um, it's, uh, it's an amazing... Actually, I'll look it up real quick here. And I'll tell you which production company it was. Um... It is uh, the Royal Concert of the Netherlands. It's the Netherlands. Um, so it's it's kind of a, it's it's nice. It's a good recording if you're interested in uh, listening to it. Um, it's on the Decca uh, record label. Um, so I highly recommend that one. Um, there is uh, the one for Cavalleria Rusticana, which is playing before it. We have Ricky Leach, who's actually playing the lead role in that. But um, I do have another recording of it um, that I really particularly like, and I was really quite pleased with it when I started listening. It's actually a classic recording from Deutsch Grammophone, and uh, it's uh, Herbert von Karajan uh, conducting, and it was uh, from 1966 uh, recording, uh, and it's it's quite good. I, I, I really, really like the sound of it, and I never really heard men, much of it before, and it's a really beautiful score. It's very, it's very passionate. Um, both uh, of those, because uh, this is a, a production everybody calls it Cav Pag within the the group because it's Cavallari, Ristana, and Pagliacci. They're two um, sort of one act 
operas that we're doing on one night. So we have two really great famous tenors who are going to be singing these lead roles in each of these productions. So it's kind of fun. We're going to kind of do some really interesting things um, with those uh, two. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to doing that piece. And then, um, the uh, so so right now there's Tannhäuser, then after that is uh, Mary Queen of Scots, and then Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci. And then after that is um, Aida, and that I'm, I'm looking forward to also. Um, I have a recording with Birgit Nelson doing it, and uh, it's it's a marvelous score. Um, I'm kind of from what I've heard is called the sit and sing edition. So I don't know that as a chorus member, I'll be doing much uh, movement on stage, although I am cast as an Egyptian priest. So I think that's going to be interesting. I'm not sure what that'll entail costume wise, but um, the production looks to be really um, very, very beautiful. Another eye candy piece. Um, and then uh, Pearl Fishers is being performed after that. And I'm not in that one. I really wanted to do that one out of all of the productions. Um, so I'm kind of uh, bummed about that. But um, it's kind of an interesting story about uh, Pearl Fishers. Uh, Ian Campbell explained to us that um, when he first heard um, the man who's playing uh, the lead role of Nader in um, Pearl Fishers, he had heard him, and uh, I guess he said must have been like four or five years ago, and thought he was just a marvelous singer and, and just really couldn't wait to work with him. So they were trying to work out schedules because it's really hard, like I explained before, a lot of these um, principles fly in and fly out so um, they uh, they have to work with these really tight schedules to try to get them booked so sometimes it can take years before you can find an opening where it works and it's mutual for, for both parties um, so he always uh, Ian always wanted to work with this guy and uh, he thought he'd be perfect in Pearl Fishers and <laughs> They finally got around to working it out, and um, uh, they got him out here, and they kind of worked out a deal. In the middle of it, uh, he digressed a second and said that just prior to that, he had actually gone to Vienna to listen to a very lovely, lovely, charming Russian singer, a soprano. And he just thought she was, and she was just up and coming. She just got started and, and had just uh, premiered in Vienna at the time in a production there and he just thought she was really charming very nice person and he just made a mental note gee I really would like to work with her sometime in the future so you know he kind of said you know we'll keep in touch you know as they all do in, in the profession and um, so he kind of you know always kept in the back of his mind that he wanted to work with her well he said when he met with Charles to do um, the to discuss doing Pearl Fishers uh, Charles brought up the subject of well do you have anybody to play the lead soprano role and he says he always dreads whenever somebody asks that question and he says his default answer is usually always yes because you know you just always worry when someone says ask that kind of question because you think oh they're gonna you know produce somebody that they know or the who they're dating or you know so it's always one of those situations you know well what was funny about this little story is that um he had told him, he said, well, yes, I actually do have somebody. And he says, she's a lovely Russian uh, singer. And, and I heard her a few years back and I've been wanting to work with her. And I think she would just be fabulous for it. And, and he kind of described the situation. And he said, Charles kind of like had this look of you're kidding on his face. And then he reaches in his jacket and pulls out a picture of her. And he says, is this her? And 
uh, I guess Ian Gamble kind of looked and went, well, yeah, wow, you know, and it turned out the man had married her just prior to their meeting. So it's just, it, you never know, you know, I mean, this was just like uh, something in the universe was coming out and just saying these two need to perform together in this production here in San Diego. And it just worked out that way. So you never know how these things are going to pan out. But uh, again, another, you know, little bizarre kind of twist, twisted, not twisted, but, you know, it has twists to it in the story of how uh, Pearl Fishers got cast. So, um, yeah, it looks to be a very sumptuous production. It looks like a very, very colorful production. I'm definitely going to go see it, even though I'm not in it, um, because uh, I, one, the music is gorgeous. It's a really beautiful score. If you've never heard Pearl Fishers, it's by the same composer who did Carmen. Um, which is probably the more famous piece that he's known for, uh, Georges Brisset. Um, but Pearl Fishers is really stunning, and it has a gorgeous, gorgeous duet between um, a tenor and a baritone, the lead tenor and the lead baritone in the story. And uh, it's a really beautiful song, just stunning music. So, um, And from what I've gathered, uh, Mary, um, uh, Maria Stuarte, or Mary Queen of Scots, is uh, also a very beautiful uh, piece. I, I don't know much about it. Um, I haven't had a chance to download it for, on iTunes yet, So, I, but I plan on checking it out as well. But the whole season just looks really amazing. So I highly suggest that you look into uh, one, if not more, of the shows. Um, it, the company is just really amazing. And what I really liked was, you know, Ian said that when he hires people, he hires them because they're just really good people. They're very talented. Nobody has a chip on their shoulder. They They're all you know consummate artists from you know the chorus members all the way up through the principals and if you ever find somebody who really is a jerk then they never work for them again and you know when you work in a company that's that large it's kind of nice that they pay attention to things like that so um it makes the experience that much sweeter because you know especially for me as a newbie walking in it's really kind of nice um to know that you've got that kind of uh people surrounding you and it's a very supportive situation so um we start uh another round of staging uh tomorrow uh, on friday and uh, i'm looking forward to that our rehearsals have been kind of long um they're now going to four and six hour rehearsals so we're getting down to the wire and things are starting to wrap themselves up and so um i think we get to meet the uh leads soon if not tomorrow then it'll be saturday um, and that's going to be fun. They said uh, the woman who plays Venus is just absolutely amazing. She has this huge voice, and she is just a kick in the pants uh, personality-wise. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, anyway, so all of that to say, um, this will that'll end this week's show. I just kind of wanted to give you a rundown of what was happening staging-wise and a little bit about how some of the strange things that could go on in opera. Um, it's, so this is kind of a, a shortened kind of show. Um, next week, I'm going to actually proceed with uh, Act 3 discussion and kind of a wrap-up of the whole Tannhäuser thing. Um, and we'll uh, talk a little bit about, you know, where the next show is going for me, which is Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci, uh, the two one-acts um, that are put together on the same night. So we'll start to talk a little bit about that. Um, so for my super title life, uh, this is Bill, and I hope to talk to you all real soon. Take care and keep your ears and eyes on my website, mysupertitlelife.aquaban.com. Take care. Bye-bye. My Super Title Life is a production of Aquaban Media Studios. 
and its opinions are that of its author and editor, and not of the San Diego Opera or any other organization mentioned in this episode. If you wish to reach Bill at the My Super Title Life, you can contact him via email at mysupertitlelife at aquagon.com. And that's my super title life, all one word, M-Y-S-U-P-E-R-T-I-T-L-E-L-I-F-E at aquagon.com. And that's A-K-W-E-K-O-N.com.